Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com slash give. Enjoy the message. I hope you're doing well as we kick off uh, the fall, as we kick off the school year, and uh, we really kick off a whole new series. We know the Seahawks are uh, playing today, and uh, how many of you think they're going to win the Super Bowl this year? Five of you. That's awesome. Uh, the, uh, how many of you think they can beat the team that got last place in the AFC West today? Uh, no, no faith for that either. Okay, well, uh, uh, I hope they're going to do pretty well. I hope you're doing pretty well. What we understand is as we begin any new season of our life, that uh, we begin with some challenges in mind. That it's not only the opportunities that we're going to seize in this new season, it's the obstacles we are going to overcome that's going to determine the quality of this next season and how it builds into the season after that in our life. So we do what we always do every fall, is we take a time to look at some aspect of our relationships. Uh, this series that we're kicking off today is called relational vampires loving the people who suck the life right out of you. Isn't that a good title? Pastor Carlos came up with that one. Uh, and it is one of those opportunities for us to understand how we show up in difficult situations. How we show up when there's a, a challenge or two. How many of you, uh, you you're, you're going to face a challenge or two this fall, right? Right? You know it? Uh, you already know it's going to be at work, it's going to be in your community or at school or maybe in your relationships. Uh, I had, my neighbor is doing some work next door, uh, which I think is awesome, they're remodeling their house uh, and uh, done a very good job with the people who've come in to make sure that they don't block his driveway, they always park in front of my driveway. And it's only happened 10 times, so I'm not uh, counting, am I? Yeah, so it happened three days in a row, I couldn't get out, my wife looks at me like, we need to do something, and I know it better be me instead of her because I remember when something like this happened 20 years ago, and she chased a neighbor into his garage. <laughs> Not kidding. Anyway, so I'm like, I just went over, just wanted to be nice, and I'm, so I knock, and, and I hear the workers, and, and they stop. It's quiet in the house. No one comes to the door, so I knock again. I'm assuming they didn't hear me. Again, no one comes to the door. Well, they have one of those ring doorbells where they have the video. So I'm like, okay, I'll ring the doorbell. He'll see it's me. He'll come to the door. So I ring and wait and wait and wait. So then I, I, I ring again. And then finally my neighbor shows up to the door. And I said, hey, dude, I think your doorbell's broken. And uh, it was one of those things. And, and we had a, a conversation. And I, and I realized at that point that how that could have gone negatively or positively. It's one of those situations, what Daniel Goleman in his book, Emotional Intelligence, he calls the 17% moments. Because 83% of the time, we're going to operate pretty well, aren't we? We're going to operate at maximum performance. But it's those 17% when we face a challenge, when we uh, are maybe 
have some internal anxiety, when we're conflicted, when we face criticism, that those determine almost 100% of our life. And my guess is that you and me, during this next season, we're going to face some of these 17% moments. And most of these 17% moments are going to have to do with the relationships that we have in our life. And so we're going to look at that as we uh, look not only at uh, other people, but how we show up. Because the Bible is quite clear that if, you have be, if, if you've said yes to Jesus, maybe you're like me, I wasn't raised in a Christian household, uh, later became a follower of Jesus, has that made sense to me? And, but if you have said yes to Jesus, the Bible says you are not your own, you are bought with a price. Do you know that if, you're, if you've decided for Jesus, some decisions are no longer yours to make? That they're off the table for you. That God calls us to love even the people who we can feel are sucking the like life out of us. And today, what we're going to look at is overly critical people. Any of you have any overly critical people in your life? Yeah, can you name three? Yeah, of course you can. You, you know those people who have the spiritual gift of criticism, right? That they can find something negative. And in fact, it's sort of funny, as we did this series, someone called in the church, uh, Relational Vampires. I didn't answer the phone, so someone else did, and, and said, what, what's this about this series? Does your church believe in vampires? And uh, I wish I had answered the phone because I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. And, uh, <laughs> and, and they said, you know that vampires are bad. And then went on and, and on and on of that. Because if I would have answered the phone, I would have said, really? Because I was going to talk about the undead and drinking blood and we were going to watch Twilight for a month together as a church. Uh, so the, the, tr the, the truth is, is they weren't asking a real question. They were just lodging a criticism. And we have people like that who, who they will ask a question, but it's not a question. It's just a chance to bring us down a little bit. And sometimes we have been that person, and I talked about that about a year ago. I did a message on that, when we are that kind of person. And I can tell you, that's not who God created you to be. And if you are, are that kind of person, your relationships are going to suffer until you change. So how do we show up with the overly critical people in our life? Because here's the underlying reality. Everybody gets criticized. Do you know that there's only one time that people are, everyone's going to speak positively about you? When is that? Yeah, your funeral, when you're dead. Doesn't do you a lot of good then, does it? It's like, and, and by the way, that's a, a wake-up call for us. Don't wait. In fact, I've had this philosophy even when it comes to parents and stuff like that. Uh, I'm like, hey, if we're going to go see him, let's go see him now. Let's not make a special effort to show up to the funeral. Let's show up now. Let's be positive presence in their life right now. Because otherwise, you know what? We live with this thing called regret. And God doesn't want us to live with regret. Aristotle said this, to avoid criticism, do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. Everybody's going to be criticized. Look in the Bible. King David, he was uh, married uh, to Michael, and she, they had this whirlwind romance. They had come together. 
But yet she, she criticized him even when he had come back from this great battle and was uh, brought back to the ark of the Lord. And that's a whole other discussion. Here's what we read. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he, he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts uh, and the sound of trumpets. And the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David. Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. He was doing the right thing and, and he's criticized. Apostle Paul, how about him? Think about him. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Brought Christianity uh, and the grace of Jesus Christ to much of uh, the known world at that time. And here's what he quotes some of his critics. Says, for some say his letters are weighty and forceful. But in person, he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. I think I got a note like that this week. No. <laughs> uh, actually, I, I, uh, the church, you're a great church. I, 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 I have the opportunity to work with other pastors. And honestly, it has been years. Most, I get mo almost all encouragement from you. And uh, I just appreciate that. But I remember uh, early on, I come here, people didn't appreciate my humor. They're like, well, you shouldn't be a pastor. You should be in some smoke-filled comedy club. I'm like, you think I could make it? <laughs> so they didn't know I received that as a compliment. Uh, what about Jesus? Savior of the world, died on a cross, drove out demons. And guess what? The religious leader said, the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. So here's the deal. If King David, if the Apostle Paul and Jesus were criticized, we know we're going to receive that. Now, no, I'm not talking about the just normal criticism. In fact, you might write this to, to the side. This isn't in your notes. There's really a, a number of places where criticism can, can come from. One is what I call well-intentioned dragons. Those are, uh, and I know, he believes in vampires and dragons. No, the uh, well-intentioned dragons are, there's a book on it, people who mean well, but the impact of what they do is negative. And in fact, often what do we do? We judge ourselves by our intent. We judge everyone else by the impact. And so uh, the intent is, oh, I just wanted to help them out, but the impact is quite destructive. And then there are people who really are not looking for your best interest. They're, they, they really, they're, they're just being critical in a real negative way. I've had people say, well, you know, no, I just believe that all people are good. Really? I want to go visit you in the cave you've been living in for the last few years. Because some people, uh, have you ever met someone who's a little bit surly? No? Yeah, well, yeah, of course you have. You met, you met people like that. And, and I don't, it's usually out of hurt. But there are people who will not have your best interests at heart. And then criticism can come from God. That God, want, God will use someone who's actually well-intentioned in what they want. They want to point out some area of your life to help you change. And discernment is so important so we can understand where is this coming from. And as much as we can understand the intent, although it's hard to judge someone else's intentions, 
that can lessen the impact. Because I was considering this. Why criticism can sting so much? Why can it sting so much? Number one, it feeds our insecurities. We all have insecurities. In fact, uh, much has been written about the imposter syndrome. Those who have achieved financial and career success, yet they have this feeling, if people just knew the real me, I wouldn't be where I am today. And when people criticize us, it can call out our very worst insecurities. Or maybe you have people who will remind you of those areas where you're insecure. Uh, my mom became a Christ follower in her mid-50s, uh, last 30 years of her life. She went home to be with the Lord. She loved and served Jesus. Before that, very troubled life. And she was married a bunch of times, and one of my stepdads, Ed, I remember there was a low point in my life. I was not doing very well in school. Uh, I was, uh, I, I think I'd gotten a D plus in some uh, English test. And he said, you should, and he was, a, he was a high school dropout. He said, you should just quit school. You're dumb just like me. And I said, well, thank you, Lucifer. The, uh, <laughs> and then I made a little voodoo doll. <laughs> There's a backache, huh? <laughs> He believes in dragons and buying powers and voodoo dolls. <laughs> Again, spiritual gift of sarcasm. So, the, uh, so the, I had to decide what I was going to do. Fortunately, God had placed a, a, a teacher in my life. By the way, teachers who show up, who let your faith, not just you know, telling people about Jesus, but letting them experience Christ through you can be a powerful thing. I remember one of my teachers she, she said, even though I could have technically passed the class, she said, I'm going to fail you because you're not living up to the potential that you have. And back then she could actually use the word God. And she said, the God-given potential that you have. And I remember that struggle moment. And then years later, going to University of Washington on an academic scholarship when I was thinking of calling it quits. By the way, for some of you who are students, that's when they let dumb people in. <laughs> so that, but, and then how, how powerful that moment. Who was I going to be? What voices are you allowing in your life? Some of you, you're discouraged all the time because you allow the wrong voices in your life. And so if you would allow God, what, what does God say about you? God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God says you are his child. God says that you can be forgiven through Jesus, that we were created for a purpose, that we're given spiritual gifts. See, if we don't hear God's voice, then that anxiety, that self-doubt is going to become really big. But I understand no matter what happens on the outside, something different can be going on on the inside. Then I can deal with criticism. See, it also reminds us of our failures. That we've all failed, the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sometimes, again, there'll be people who will remind us of our failures. I've said this before, in marriages, what happens when we get in an argument? We get historical, right? We remind each other of where we failed. It also seems to diminish our achievements. That, that we, we feel because where this criticism is coming that something else I've done well at really doesn't matter that much. And it comes down to this, that 
often feels personal. And so we react instead of respond. And my goal today is that you would, from a biblical perspective, respond to overly critical people, not react to them. And so how, how do we do that? Well, how do you respond to critical people? First, often you don't. There are some people that you are not going to respond to. We read in 1 Peter 2.23 about Jesus. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Sometimes it's just smart not to respond to people who are critical. And what we can feel like is we're giving them a victory. Yet, sometimes we're just, we're overlooking it. Or we're saying this is not wise to engage. Proverbs 19.11, it says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It's to one's glory to overlook an offense. It's a conscious decision to let it go. Your role is to obey God, not to answer your critics. Second, sometimes you respond carefully. That, but here's what we usually do. We don't respond carefully. What do we do when we're mad? We send. Don't hit send. Just say no. Yeah, what, and, and the Bible literally will, will tell us about this, uh, well, that we should be wise. Science would tell us that there's a moment, usually 20 to 30 minutes, when we're not thinking, and we can come back and respond. A gentle answer turns away wrath, it says, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So, so we learn to respond. So how do we answer people? How do we answer people if, if really there's a criticism? When do we do it? We, we do it when uh, they're missing information that might change his or her perception. By the way, there's difference between a response and an excuse. Someone's giving you a just criticism, even if it's in an unjust way, you say, man, I, I don't exactly like how this is coming across right now. But I know fundamentally you're right. Sometimes people just need more information. Secondly, you answer when the person is open to change. Because honestly, some people, no matter how much information they get, they're going to be critical of you. And if that's the case, don't waste your time. Now, for, for those of you in a marriage relationship, it is so important that you understand if you're being overly critical. And here's the thing that I know about you, because I know this about me too, is that I can't see it in myself. You're not a good evaluator. In fact, one of the challenges I've given a couple times since I've been here is, and you could, you could try this, in your marriage, you say, you know what, we're going to do something crazy for 30 days we are not going to criticize each other. Some of you are going, oh, that's stupid. <laughs> well, you need to do that. I know others of you, okay, I won't criticize, but I'll keep a list and share it later. <laughs> that's from the devil. That's where that's from. Because if you can't do it, 
you're probably an overly critical person and you failed to recognize that in yourself. Say, well, I just have to. No, you don't. That there, do you know that the Holy Spirit convicts, convicts of sin? That, that the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily need you to do it? And so that's so important because here's what can happen is even true statements can have negative consequences in the wrong context. So you say, well, what if, I'm, uh, what if I need to bring something up? Do it wisely. Here are some quick rules. Always, again, you know, this, this is like, uh, I think, from the Navy. Compliment in public and correct in private. Don't embarrass someone. Because no matter how true it is, is if you embarrass someone, it's hard to recover from that relationship or relationally. Critique when people are up, not when they're down. Don't pile on. And that means you have to know someone. If your spouse comes home and just found out that they got laid off, now is not a time to talk to them about the laundry they're leaving on the floor. That would not be wise. Wait until they are in a good space. Critique only when it's hard to do. If you're like, ha ha, I can't wait to do this, then you shouldn't do it. And only correct if you're correctable. And here, here's my test for you. Can someone give you a criticism? Or let me ask, let me put it this way. When is the last time someone has given you a criticism, you've received it, you've thanked them for the input, and you've made a change? If you say, yeah, I can't remember that happening for a long time, then, and I know this is a challenge for all of us, me included, then you're probably not that correctable. And so we say, God, first deal with my own heart. And number three, occasionally you listen and make a change. You listen and make a change. I remember pastoring a little church, Kingman, Arizona. I've talked about that a number of times. Uh, God performed a miracle. This little church of 30-some people grew. And I rem uh, as we were building buildings, we brought in a church growth consultant to, to help us navigate the process. And uh, he came in and evaluated the whole situation. And uh, I, I said, what do you think? And he said, hey, it's remarkable what's happened. And, and I'm like, well, you know, what can we work on? He said, I think you can work on your marriage. I'm like, you're a church growth consultant. You're fired. No, that's what I wanted to say. And he really, he said, he said, you're, you're over-investing and you're neglecting your family. Was that easy? No. Did I like it in the moment? No. Do I think I'd be married today if I hadn't received that and listened to it? No. Sometimes difficult things are actually loving. It says in Proverbs 15, 31 through 32, whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. And that leads to number four, always guard your heart. Are always guard, you know, see, oftentimes what will happen is because we're feeling in a vulnerable place that we will 
uh, lash out at others. That will have a critical spirit. And it often comes from pride, it comes from ignorance, it can come from our own hurt. That's why the scripture says, therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. But we know that there's different kinds of words, right? That even when we have those relational vampires in our life, or we've been that person, the Bible says this, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. See, there, there's a way to show up in your family, with your kids. And I know I, I've talked to some of you, and you're struggling with your kids. And I'm not saying, hey, this is all your fault. But I am saying you are responsible to show up in a way that maybe God could work a little bit of a miracle. Some of you are in a workplace, and it's a difficult situation. And what if you said, hey, God, why don't I be the one, I take it upon me, to change the atmosphere. That I'm the one who looks for good, not the worst. And sometimes even in, in a family, in a marriage relationship, it's easy to come with that critical spirit. Instead of saying, God, because of the work you've done in me, I want to extend that same grace Help me to do that supernaturally. In fact, uh, I heard a story recently uh, of a family who sort of was entering into that situation. They were in one of those moments. How were they going to move forward from that difficulty? And I want you, as you look at the screens, to take a look at this story. My name is Jackie, and I've been attending Timberlake for a year and a half. Growing up, I did not know what church was. I went one time. So as an atheist, um, I honestly believe that people of religion in general were just weak. I thought they needed that. By middle school, I had been introduced to alcohol, drugs, and pornography. I got pregnant from my high school boyfriend and um, I really wanted to marry him, and he said the only way we could get married was if I had an abortion, so I did. And not surprisingly, we were divorced by the time I was 20. I finally bought a condominium in Issaquah and moved in next door to uh, the man who would become the love of my life. Uh, within a year of dating, we got married. He adopted my daughter. Um, we had two more children, and you know, everything was going to be great because I found my fix. There was still a hole. Um, even this amazing guy could not fill. And um, our marriage was going through some rocky times. And um, every time, my husband grew up as a Christian. He grew up in a Christian household. So I said to my husband one day, we'd never gone to church or anything. And I said to him, you know, I feel like we should find a church. Ten years into our marriage, things were getting a little rough again. So I finally said, listen, this is going to sound really weird, but I was praying, and this is what I felt like God was telling me to say to you, that I'm your helper, and how can I help you? And as soon as I said that, my husband stopped, and he looked at me, and he started crying, and he said, he said, honey, I'm so sorry. 
We spent eight hours in that room on what we now call day one of our marriage. And um, we confessed to one another that uh, we were both had sexual brokenness that um, both from our past, he told me things I never knew about him that he never thought he could tell me, that he was so ashamed of. And uh, I told him things about me that I had never told him that I was so ashamed of. And we both admitted to having um, issues with pornography that um, currently existed. And um, we loved on each other and we prayed for each other. God tore down the walls for us that were keeping us from fully pursuing him. We were freed. We have been able to um, just find joy, real joy in our pursuit of Jesus and um, light from our darkness. Before Jesus, I looked at the world as broken. I didn't trust really anyone. I didn't think anyone was trustworthy. After Jesus, um, I know what the word joy means. always takes incredible courage to do that. I love what she said and I, about that day one moment. And they'd been going along in their marriage and their life and been married for years and years and years. But day one is when they were fully known and fully loved. And I think that so many of us we walk through life without that day one moment. Maybe you've been here and you say, hey, I've been uh, following Jesus for a number of years now. But not with that honesty and openness. And, and Jesus would want you to know his love, acceptance, and forgiveness. That you can be fully known and fully loved. For some of you, I, I know that, you know, you've heard us talk about re-engage and marriage ministry. And you have a significant choice ahead of you. Are you going to step into a day one moment? Is that the panacea, the cure-all? No, but, but I would challenge you. Pastor Carlos and Libby are going to lead that. Clear the calendar. Make it a priority. Say, God, I want that day one moment in my marriage. Maybe it's with our recovery groups. I want a day one moment as I overcome this grief or the pain of divorce or as I struggle through this time of addiction. Because God is about day one moments. And you can be 18 years old or 68 years old and God would give us that opportunity to step into that. And I encourage you just in this moment between you and God, as honest as you could possibly be, would you come before him with whatever the struggle, whatever season you're heading into? Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you, you made the first move. That the Bible 
tells us that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, I, I pray for my friends who are wanting to take that step, maybe even for the first time today. Maybe you say, I can never remember a time when I personally asked Jesus into my heart as the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. I want to give you the opportunity to do that even right now. That you'd say this, and, and here's how we do that. I don't want you to say this out loud or anything, just in your own heart. You say, God, I thank you for your incredible pervasive love. God, I, I want to step into that. God, I, I need your forgiveness. And I need your leadership in my life. And, and so I turn my life over to you. Knowing that you make this promise is that whoever loses their life for your sake will find true life. And God, I want that true life. If you said that prayer or something like it and you've invited Jesus Christ into your life, Know that He is with you and that He is for you. The Scripture says this, that even though my mother and father would forsake me, God will not forsake me. Scripture also says is that as we take a step towards Him, that our faith grows as we continue to take steps. And I'm going to encourage you to take one more here today. There's something that happens when we go public with our faith. And, and we want to give you the opportunity to do that in a in a public place, but with a sense of privacy. So we're not going to have you come forward or raise your hand, but with everyone's eyes closed and head bowed, if you, if you say, I prayed that prayer with you today to invite Jesus into my life, then I encourage you just simply uh, to look up at me. I'm going to look to my right and your left. That you just let your eyes meet mine. That's great. Anyone else on my right? You just As an indication of your faith, all right. In this intersection, you'd say, that's my, that's my decision today. All right, way to go, way to go. And over to my left, you're just, you're, you're just saying, this is a decision. I, I want Jesus Christ in my life. And up in the balcony as well. God, I just thank you. I thank you for my friends who are coming to you. God, we, we thank you that any day is a new day when we invite you to be front and center. And that's what we do. That's what we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.